Someone noticed that the word father appears in the dictionary just before the word petite and just after the word fathead. So, to all of us fatigued fathead fathers, happy Father's Day. One night a wife found her husband standing over their newborn's baby crib. Silently she watched him as he stood looking down at the sleeping infant. She saw on his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment, skepticism. He would stand back, shake his head and say, amazing, while smiling from ear to ear. Touched by his unusual display and deep emotions that aroused, her eyes glistened as she slipped her arms around him and silently or quietly whispered in his ear, a penny for your thoughts. Isn't it amazing, he replied, when you take the time and realize, and you really look close, how can anyone make a crib like that for only $95.99? Someone wrote a list of words that most dads have said at some time or another. This is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. Quiet. I'm watching the ball game. Bring back all the change. How should I know? Go ask your mother. I'm not made of money. When I was your age, I walked five miles to and from school each day. And both ways were uphill. (laughs) You are going and you will have fun. If you break your leg, don't come running to me. Get down before you hurt yourself. On second thought, go ahead. Be quiet. Can't you see I'm trying to think? Why? Because I said so. You better get that junk picked up before your mother comes in here. Just wait until you have kids of your own. I was not asleep. I was just resting my eyes. Well, brethren, and to each of you, I suppose that we are fathers and For each of us that are fathers, we could probably add a few more of our own, either ones that we have used or ones that we've heard from our father. Being a parent and a father can be interesting and a trying experience. Today is known as Father's Day, and to honor that special day, it began back in 1910 in Spokane, Washington, if I understand correctly. Neckties and shirt manufacturers have rejoiced ever since. Then a few years later, a group in Pennsylvania, from what I understand, declared the dandelion as the official Father's Day flower because they said, the more it is trampled on, the better it grows. And there's something that Emma Bombeck wrote that seems to express the sentiments of Father's Day. She said that when she was a little girl, a father was like the light in the refrigerator. Every house had one, but no one really knew what either one of them was doing once the door was shut. She said in her life, her dad left the house every morning and always seemed glad to see everyone at night when he returned. He opened the jar of pickles when no one else could. He was the only one in the house who wasn't afraid to go into the basement alone. He kept busy enough. He set mousetraps. He oiled my uh, roller skates. That made him go faster. When I got my bike, He ran alongside me for at least a thousand miles until I got the hang of it. He signed all my report cards. He took a lot of pictures, but he was never in them. I was afraid of everyone else's father, but not my own. Once I made him some tea, 
It was only sugar water, but he sat in a small chair and said that he loved it and it was delicious. He looked very uncomfortable sitting in that little chair though. Whenever I played house, um, the mother doll had a lot to do, but I never knew what to do with the father doll. So I would say, I'm going off to work. And I threw that father doll under the bed. I'll come back to that later. Today, we are talking about fathers. But my sermon this morning is, of course, to each and every one of us as Christians. We, for each one of us fathers, who, as a doll, are laying under the bed, who are dandelions being trampled on, oh, who are viewed as the refrigerator light of our society. I'd like to look at our text this morning as Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. It's the very first book of the New Testament, the very first chapter of the New Testament. Starting in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your uh, to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called her name, uh, his name Jesus. The first thing I'd like to look at was Joseph was committed. We talked about in our Bible study this morning a commitment we make when we become Christians. The covenant that God has made, but we need to do things on our own part. We need to have a commitment to him and his plan. The first part of Joseph's story is one of commitment and happy expectations, as we see in the very first verse of our text. Matthew 1.18 says, it begins with these words, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to understand from what I understand, a Jewish marriage consisted of three stages. The first stage is engagement. It usually was arranged by the parents. Parents would arrange the engagement without the young people even being involved. An example of this in the Old Testament was when Abraham sent his servant back to his home country to find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant found Rebekah and brought her back. Isaac had never seen her before. Then she became his wife. The second stage of a Jewish marriage was the betrothal. During this time, the young couple agreed to the marriage. The groom signed an agreement declaring his responsibilities to her, and they were considered husband and wife, but they didn't live together yet. 
Betrothal usually lasted for about a year. It was a time for the groom to prepare the place where they would live. It was a time of building and relation of, of a relationship, of coming to know each other, and planning and dreaming and having happy expectations. However, all of this suddenly ended in shock and disappointment for Joseph. Joseph was around age 18, but before they came together, the woman that he loved was found to be with child. The Bible doesn't tell us too much about when Joseph was told or who told him. Maybe it was Mary. Maybe she said something like, Joseph, I have the most wonderful news. I'm going to have a baby. And not just any baby. This will be the Messiah. The one our people have been waiting and praying for for so many years. An angel told me this. But Joseph, when we see, or hears this, probably wasn't real happy. How could he believe such a story? And Joseph must have felt that Mary had betrayed him. But notice that even in this stage of disappointment, Joseph loved Mary. Verse 19 of our text says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. The law said that Joseph could have taken her to the city gate. And the people that would have taken rocks and probably stoned her to death. Then Joseph's name would have been cleansed and his reputation would have been restored. But Joseph decided not to do that. He decided not to disgrace her, but rather to divorce her quietly so that she could start her life over again. And he could start his life over again. But then the angel appeared to him in a dream, telling Joseph what had happened. That the Holy Spirit had caused Mary to conceive a child that would be God's only son. And God had a request of Joseph. Would Joseph be a, I guess you would say, a stepfather? Would he work with Mary in raising the child? Joseph had to decide. He had to make a commitment about the child who didn't belong to him. He made a commitment to a marriage that would be held up to scorn and probably gossip. But Joseph said that he would. So Joseph took Mary to be his wife. We know that as Christians, there are people around that mock us or scorn us for being a Christian. They don't understand why we do the things that we do. But yet, like Joseph, we know that is what God's plan is for us. Joseph was told, as we see here by the Spirit, we can read God's Word, which is God's Spirit, to understand the things that we need to do in our Christian life. We know that Barbara, there was a Barbara Henrich who wrote a book in which she said, yesterday's man was a husband, he was a father, he was a family breadwinner. Today's men are often careless consumers, and are very proficient at dodging commitment. A lot of things today. The contracts that people sign, but then try any, every way to get out of them. Back in the day, I understand, and I was young enough, uh, or I'm old enough now, and when I was younger, I understood that when my father or someone agreed 
grandfathers, they shake, shook hands. They didn't have to write anything down. And you did that pretty well. It was a bond. And we know that today, even after people write contracts and sign contracts, they look for loopholes to break those contracts. The commitment that we seek, that Joseph had, that as Christians, we make a commitment in our lives to God and to his son. But Joseph didn't dodge his commitment, did he? He accepted the responsibility that God asked him to take. It was Joseph who put his wife on the donkey and began a long trip to Bethlehem. It was Joseph who found a place in which Mary could give birth. It was Joseph who helped her through the birth, and it was Joseph who first saw the Son of God and then try, you know, probably held his hands in God's only son. Joseph had made a commitment, but he didn't realize what all that commitment entailed, I don't think. He didn't realize that he would have to serve in helping God's son be born and all that was going to take place from that time forward. But he had promised. He didn't dodge his commitment. He kept his word. Second, Joseph was concerned. Joseph was also concerned. He he um, was used to living in Nazareth, but now he was going to be in Bethlehem. Somehow he had to support his wife and child. So where was he going to get carpentry work? He was concerned about being able to provide for God's son and take care of him and the rest of his family. Jesus was less than two years old when wise men came from the east and brought gifts. Joseph is warned to flee from Herod's murderous intent to kill Jesus. So Joseph uproots his family and flees to Egypt. Later, he uproots them again and takes them to Nazareth. I love to go visit my granddaughter. I couldn't imagine what it would be like just in the common sense of knowing that there were people out to destroy her or her family. You think about that. As a father, what it would be like to know that there is a king that rules in the land that is out to kill your son. Now, of course, in this case, Joseph knew that his son was a special son. But yet we look at Isaac, I mean, um, Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham being willing to offer his son to God, being told to offer his son. Commitment. We think about concern, but commitment. As Christians, we're asked to have a concern about God's will. We have a concern about saving those. As Brother Ryan mentioned this morning, we have a concern for those who are not yet Christians, that they would be faithful and they would be found in God's way before they perish. In Matthew chapter 6, sorry, chapter 5, sorry, chapter 5, around verse 16, it says, you know, the be the salt of the world and and then and, and be the light. That we need to be a light. That others can see our light and worship our Father. Turn unto him before it is too late. We realize that that's what we're looking at here. So as we know, Moses, Mary and Joseph had several children after that. And every year, along with many others from Nazareth, they would take their family to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. 
So we can understand what happened when Jesus was 12. They worshiped in Jerusalem, as they always did. And then they began their journey home once again. And that evening, as all of those who were traveling together stopped to rest for the night, I pictured Joseph saying to Mary, well, where is Jesus? And I picture Mary answering, I thought he was with you. And I could picture Joseph saying, no, he isn't with me. Where is he? And I picture them frantically searching through the whole camp and company, but Jesus is nowhere to be found. They rushed back to Jerusalem and began looking up and down the streets. They couldn't find him anywhere. They finally go into the temple. They notice a meeting taking place. Sadducees and Pharisees are sitting around nodding their bearded heads and looking intently at the speaker. Who is the speaker? Jesus at age 12. We can read in Luke 2 and 48, it tells us, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dwelt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowingly. And Jesus said something interesting to him. I'm sure something that Joseph would never forget. Verse 49 of Luke 2. Jesus says, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Joseph realized that Jesus had just one mother, but he had a dear heavenly father. It was Joseph's responsibility to guide, but Jesus was going to do the rest. Joseph would bring him up as a earthly father until the heavenly father kicked in, but you can see even at age 12, Jesus was about his father's business. Jesus was going to take over. Joseph, seeing this, was faithful. So Joseph probably made some decisions on that long road back to Nazareth. He would do his very best to help Jesus to be about his father's business, to help Jesus be the person that God wanted him to be, if there was ever a case that you could try to do that. But Joseph's problem was that he was just a carpenter. I understand the Greek word for carpenter is tiktom, T-E-K-T-O-N. It's described as carpenter. It is said that in ancient times, this Titan was a man who probably had two chisels, a hammer, a saw, and a square. But with those few tools, he could make a chair or a table, a bridge, or a house. He wasn't just a workman. He was a craftsman. And he was a carpenter. It was obvious that Joseph had an impact on Jesus. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he talked about a fellow who had some sawdust in his eye. He talked about two men, two carpenters, who build houses. One was wise and one was foolish. Toward the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was trying to communicate to the disciples the importance of finishing what you start, he told of a man who wanted to build a tower, but who first went out and got all the materials to make sure he could finish what he started. So Joseph didn't teach Jesus about nobility. He didn't teach him about speech-making. But by his example, I believe he taught him to finish what he started and how to handle disgruntled customers. 
He taught him to pay his bills. He taught him to treat his mother with respect. He taught him to care for his younger brothers and sisters. Simply that dads would also try to do. But Joseph had no idea, I'm sure, the work that God had called his son to do. We know that Jesus was 33 years old when he built or constructed a bridge that would span eternity. Joseph had no idea that one day a carpenter's product, a wooden cross, would be the greatest monument or greatest memorial that this world has ever seen. All Joseph did was to keep guiding his son. But not only guiding, but learning from his son. And I know as parents, as Christians, we learn from each other. That was also stated in our Bible study this morning. Actually, I think it was Brother Robert's prayer now that I think about it this morning, that we can learn from each other, that we strengthen each other, the household we have here, the support that we have one with another. We think about commitment. We think about what we need to give back to God. And that encouragement we have. When God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, that you would encourage one another. That is what we try to do as we meet together. We encourage one another. I'm sure that Joseph gave Jesus encouragement, but Jesus, we know, had a plan of following out God's will. So we also see that representation in Jesus and his love for his father, that he gave his life up in fulfillment of what the father had set up and in fulfillment of the love that he had for each and every one of us. I came across an interesting poem this past week. It is entitled, A Father's Love. I'd like to read it to you now. We hear about a mother's love in story and in song, how staunch it is through trial and storm, how tender and so strong, how sweet and pure and beautiful, and every word is true. But what about a father's love that claims some notice too? A father delves the deepest mind and climbs the girders high. He swings upon the scaffolding between the earth and sky. It's father who bends his aching back and bows his graying head to bear the burdens of the day to earn the children's bread. For both must work and both must plant and do an equal share to rear the little ones the Lord has entrusted in their care. All honor to the mother's love, the universe it fills, But when you praise it, don't forget that father pays the bills. So to all of you dandelions, to all of you refrigerator lights, to all of you father dolls that have been thrown under the bed, today is your day. You might feel inadequate for the task that Jesus has called you to do, but just like Joseph, you must make a commitment. Like Joseph, you must be concerned that you are following God's way that you are following his true way, concerned about others, that you would try to lead them back before it is too late. And you must understand that you are a steward, that you are a manager, whether it be through Bible study, 
whether it be through encouraging words, whether it be through example, that we are a steward in guiding others unto him. You must devote yourself to do your best in the job that God has called you to do. This morning, there may be some of you who have never known God as your father and have never known that God has the same commitment and concern for you that Joseph, as an example, had for Jesus. Regardless of whether you are a father or a mother, or whoever you are, we ask you to make a decision this morning, to make a commitment to give your heart and life and soul to God and his son Jesus. We invite you to make your life count for him. You have the opportunity to do this as we stand and sing our song of invitation.